All right, we are live. Uh, the president doesn't control the gas prices. Uh, gas prices are a global issue, everybody. Oil companies are just price gouging people and raking in record profits, and they have more land leases than ever. These are the talking points that are being thrown around to shield Joe Biden's administration from the increasing pain at the pump that's being felt across the country. We're going to sort out the facts from the fake news on episode 350 of the In the Tank podcast. some bass in that intro i swear welcome to the in the tank podcast as always i'm your host donald kendall and last week i said that i wanted to do an energy centric episode mostly because i thought it was just a clear case of uh, biden and liberal policies resulting in rising energy and gas prices but now that's being twisted on social media and the cnn's and the msnbc's of the world to make it seem like this is all completely out of joe biden's control so I want to talk about that on this episode. So joining me today, I've got Isaac Orr, Policy Fellow at the Center of the American Experiment. How are you doing today, good sir? Good. <laughs> Always short answers with Isaac Orr. Uh, also joining us, Linnea Lucan, Research Fellow at the Heartland Institute's Arthur B. Robinson Center on Climate and Environmental Policy. How are you doing today? Barely keeping it together. <laughs> All right. That's uh, a little worse than good. Jason Hayes, the rounding out our panel here, Director of Environmental Policy at the Mackinac Center for Public Policy. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. I'll, oh. I'll try today to be more uh, verbose than uh, Isaac starting out with. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, question to you first. Are Mackinac peaches as good as they make it seem in Seinfeld? You know, I have no idea. That's an aspect of uh, Michigan culture I've never heard or seen. So, oh my gosh, maybe, this out. maybe there's I've like a Mackinac, my... Georgia that I'm unaware of. I'm not sure. It could, be. <laughs> could, be. could be. There's a Macon, Georgia. <laughs> That's true. I know that one. Yeah. Uh, so before we get going, audio-only listeners, I just want to put that message out to you because you're probably listening to this on a Friday, the audio-only version. You can join us a day earlier on Thursdays. Watch us live at noon central time on YouTube and Rumble and Twitter and Facebook. We're live streaming on all of those things. You can join in the conversation. Put in your comments and your questions. Maybe we'll show your comments on screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the sh on the fly. And also, uh, we did create a separate channel on YouTube for this podcast specifically, the In the Tank podcast channel on YouTube. And we made that because YouTube threatened to destroy our main Heartland channel based on some of the things that we talked about on this podcast. Actually, it was more like Jim talked about on this podcast. Why so am I not surprised? <laughs> so in an effort to not self-censor ourselves, we created a separate channel, In the Tank podcast, uh, where if there's something that we're going to talk about that might be a little bit more controversial than normal, we'll only do it on that. Uh, on so that it's like channel. your burner channel. It's our burner channel. So yeah, okay. subscribe to that to make sure you don't miss an episode. Um, but like I mentioned at the top of the show, I want to dedicate this entire episode to the topic of energy. 
But uh, everyone that is watching this episode uh, to learn something, you might want to take notes because who knows how much longer this content is going to be allowed on the internet. Uh, is it because <laughs> we're going to engage in hate speech or spread misinformation about COVID or monkeypox? Or or maybe it's because we're going to object to the idea that climate change is, is some existential threat that's going to result in all of us dying in the next 20 years. No. No, it's none of that stuff. It's because we might say something about wind and solar not being an adequate alternative to fossil fuels. That might be uh, enough to get us kicked off of social media in the future. Because Gina McCarthy, this is an article from the Wall Street Journal I want to I start off the show talking about. Gina McCarthy, White House National Climate Advisor, is now calling for social media to crack down on disputing the administration's energy policy. That's about it. Uh, reading from the Wall Street Journal article, now progressives are moving to censorship phase two, which is shutting down debate over climate solutions. Quote, now it's not so much denying the problem, Ms. McCarthy said in an Axios interview last Thursday. What the industry is now doing is seeding doubt about the costs associated with green energy and whether they work or not. How dare they? How dare these people do that? Later, she claimed dark money was trying to fool the public on the costs associated with renewable energy and that disinformation about this stuff posed a, quote, threat to public health. So I've been saying on this podcast for a while that the, the response in, in any facet to uh, COVID was going to be like the roadmap to the response to any climate change stuff. I just didn't think that it was going to happen this quick. So uh, I'm going to go to you, Linnea, first. What do you think about this? Are, are we going to start seeing <laughs> Isaac's objecting to me going to Linnea first? Ladies first, Isaac. Um, well, yeah, that's why Jason. Uh, are we going to start seeing? I little... see what you did there. Ah, okay, Linnea. Sorry. Warning labels <laughs> underneath uh, articles that we do about energy policy now. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, it's just, it's so, it's such a small thing for them to do and it irks everyone. Everyone hates it. Um, you know, they, they put it even on friendly podcasts at this point, if they mm -hmm. mention anything, maybe slightly contrary to what the mainstream media would say about any of these topics. So that's absolutely nothing. I'm sure Isaac has a whole lot more to add on that. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah. Okay. Let's go to Isaac. So upset that he wasn't gone to first. Uh, go ahead. What do you think about this story? Well, first of all, I just like to put on a show. Like I had no objection to going to Linnea first. I just want the record <laughs> to show uh, that you objected. <laughs> that I, I, as a jest, okay, in gotcha. jest, I go objected ahead. in jest. Um, well, yeah. I mean, this is this is kind of classic, right? Like if they don't, if they aren't winning an argument, they just try to take the ball and go home, and that's really what's happening because. You know, it's becoming abundantly clear that wind and solar don't work, which is something Jason and I have been saying for a very, very long time. He even longer because he's significantly older than the rest of us on the show today. More mature. Uh, yeah. yeah, much more mature, <laughs> much more mature. Like that goes without saying. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is this is how it always works in societies where you basically like the government is trying to decide what science is or what truth is like this is soviet union type stuff like oh crap the the you know the seed planting technology that we're using is actually starving people well kill anyone who says it <laughs> well uh, jason i mean as a director of a climate center do you fear fear that your message is going to be limited uh, of trying to get your message out to the public about some of this stuff 
Now, as an aside, we do much more than climate. So there's energy policy, forestry, all sorts of stuff that we do. But this is standard issue. They've been saying this sort of thing now for six years. I think one of the very first articles that I wrote uh, when I came to the Mackinac Center was that uh, discussed this issue specifically because it was back then Sheldon Whitehouse was trying to make it illegal to say anything that he disagreed with. So it's the same sort of thing. If you're if you're if economics and science don't actually help you support your position, then what you do is you just get government federal government power to shut down anybody that dissents and disagrees with you. That way people only get to hear your double plus good ideas. There's no confusion and it makes it much easier to 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 win the argument that way. It's just it's just so absurd the limits, uh, the lack of limits on, on these things that they're going to try to to censor, uh, you know, us on now. Like, you know, if it was just like, oh, a, a vaccine is going to turn you into a robot or something like that. It's like, OK, yeah, I, I get the general public being like, all right, maybe we shouldn't allow that type of stuff. But like talking about how reliable energy is better than unreliable renewable energy that gets censored now. It's unbelievable. And well, I said, in fairness, we're not going to be able to read these articles if we don't have electricity in the first place. So, <laughs> like, eh, yeah, right. Good this might be a moot point, Donald. Well, I have said on this podcast before, and it bears repeating, uh, we have a guy at the Heartland Institute that is in charge of pitching our op-eds to publications uh, on behalf of different, you know, policy people in our organization. And he has received messages from right-leaning, friendly publications rejecting our stuff that has to do with climate change because they're afraid that uh, if that article gets shared on their social media account, it's going to be flagged and their entire account could be throttled, reducing their social media reach, which results in smaller web traffic for them. So, like, and this is from friendly people, friendly people doing this. So it's Name like names, Donald. Let's I shame them right now. I, I don't really want to uh, do that, but yeah, friendly people rejecting That's another Seinfeld change. episode. So. <laughs> We're gonna make a bunch of Seinfeld references. It's gonna be Seinfeld Easter eggs all day, <laughs> ladies and gents. But with these comments from uh, uh, Gina McCarthy, the the same thing might be happening with articles talking about the inefficiency of wind and solar or the importance of reliable energy sources. Like, are these friendly publications going to stop running those things because they fear what Mark Zuckerberg and and uh, uh, you know wh whoever's in charge of Twitter right now is going know, to do right? their accounts. It's just like, what's happening, Elon? Are you going to close the deal or not? Exactly, right. <laughs> so that's why I, I will say, just to cap off this point, uh, that's why it's vitally important for all of you listening to make a habit of regularly visiting sites like heartland.org, climaterealism.com, and Isaac? AmericanExperiment.org. And Jason? Mackinac.org. Exactly. Yeah, but because... how do you spell Mackinac? Because nobody knows, right? Like it's apparently a weird the proper word. way. M a c k i n a c dot org. Right. See, it That's sounds right. like if you enunciate it, it sounds like Mackinac. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a great point. Right, Are you so sure? That's why we brought you on the right? show. That's why we brought you on the show. But yeah, it's it's because you know if you uh, if your feed is just even if it's just like Fox News stuff and the, those weren't the people that rejected us, I'm, I'm just using them as an example. You still might not be getting this content that we regularly produce uh, in this think tank realm that we're in. Um, so, anyways, let's let's get to the topics at hand here. So, gas prices. It's been another week. 
which means that we've set another record high in gas prices. I think I've said that the last four weeks straight. We're getting into the summer months now, which usually means higher uh, higher priced summer blends, increased driving, which generally means higher gas prices. So, Isaac, it was very easy for us to kind of paint this issue uh, on, on this show or, or shows like this as a mostly self-inflicted wound caused by the Biden administration energy policies. Um, like, you know, but like I mentioned, I'm seeing a lot of narrative spinning to make it seem like Biden and his policies are not to blame. Uh, have you seen any of this, Isaac? Oh, yeah. I mean, like they tried to say that inflation wasn't his fault. They've basically tried to say Afghanistan wasn't his fault. So this is just part and parcel, right? But there's no denying that what the Biden administration has done has is create a hostile business environment for the oil and gas industry. And if you're in a situation where uh, the... Um, the industry feels like, well, we may not be able to recoup their investment. They're going to scale back the amount of capital that they have uh, at risk there. So that's exactly what's happening. So, you know, domestic oil companies have either not been allowed to drill or get their permits, or they've just been like, well, uh, are, are they going to pull the rug out from underneath us after we go through all of our environmental review? And uh, it's just not worth the risk. The, you know, the, the, they have to have the good enough biscuit for the risk it. <laughs> Linnea, I mean, uh, I think you're probably on social media more than some of the people here. Um, I've seen on Reddit a number of posts just like kind of fighting back at this idea that Joe Biden's to blame and all of that. And it, it got so overwhelming for me last week that that's why I was like, you know what? Next week, we're going to talk nothing but this stuff. Have you seen have you seen the same kind of uh, narrative spinning that I'm describing? Well, I think your first mistake is going on Reddit. Um, that's a <laughs> if they're you know as bad as Twitter is, Reddit is a pretty deep cesspool as well. So, um, <laughs> you know, only the smartest people are on there, as, <laughs> as you can tell. Especially if you go read our politics. Sure. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's it's incredible. Um, they will do absolutely anything to try to take the blame off of the current administration and their policies. It is the biggest chunk of stuff stuck in their craw right now hmm. that the right is able to point to specific policy decisions that this administration has made that had an almost immediate effect. You point to, uh, we had a, a publication that we put out a couple months ago about this. This was before the Ukraine um, the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. And in that amount of time, gas had already gone up almost a dollar since Biden took office. And that swing started, you know, in part because of an increase in demand as people are, uh, you know, blessedly permitted to leave their homes by the government after the COVID stuff. But also um, the, the idea that the industry doesn't react to um, the kind of policies that they know are coming down the pipeline from the Biden administration is insane. I mean, people say all the time that like, well, if the Biden administration was all of a sudden 180 on their environmental policy and go all full speed ahead for drilling, um, then it wouldn't have an effect for a couple of years because it takes a couple of years to get uh, new wells online or um, new refineries or something. Um, and that's just not true that it would have no effect on gas prices because gas prices are predicated on expected mm. production, not what's happening right now. So um, it's, it's just, 
they will do they will do anything they can and the data is just not with them on this issue so all they can do is try to throttle it yeah i mean jason when i when i see you know some of these responses to what's going on at the gas pump the prices uh when you get your energy bill and all of that uh, i just kind of took it for granted that uh you know like this is this is just obviously related to the biden policies and everything that they've been doing and pushing for the last couple of years um, and I right. even respect some of the the people that were like, yeah, we need higher gas prices. Like, this is what we need so that we can push towards, uh, you know, clean energy and all of that. Like, I respect that because at least they're not denying reality. But have you have you right. seen this kind of pushback and trying to shield the blame from, uh, uh, I almost called him Obama, Biden? <laughs> Obama Jr., uh, the 2.0 version. But yeah, I mean, there's... <laughs> the sequel's uh, uh, never as good as the original. <laughs> that's true. I... I, I always am posting, there's a, a June 4, 2020 tweet from Joe Biden. He was saying, it's hard to believe this has to be said, but unlike this president, I'll do my job and take responsibility. I won't <laughs> blame others. And I'll never forget that the job isn't about me. It's about you. And yet we see this sort of thing, you know, if it wasn't um, Putin, then it's greedy oil producers uh, greedy meat conglomerates. It's yeah, I mean, you pick pick the bad guy. There's always a bad guy. <laughs> Literally That's... anyone but him is the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. Let's but he be won't blame fair. anybody. He, he be fair. He probably He'll doesn't remember that that tweet happened. <laughs> that's that's uh, true. But... That's the good point. Yeah, I love how that's, that's being what we're fair. seeing right now. We're we're seeing like this morning. I think it was uh, uh, Corinne Jean Pierre was asked Peter Ducey in, in the blue room. And uh, Ducey said, the president once said he's going to end fossil fuels. Is that no off the table? Corinne Jean-Pierre's first response, no, we're going to continue to move forward. At the same time, like just yesterday or the day before, she was saying it's your patriotic duty to drill and produce oil. But don't forget, we're still going to shut you down. So it's your patriotic duty to produce oil until we decide it's not, and then you need to stop. There's it, no way that business is going to operate in, in this kind of situation. It, it does not make sense. Isn't it just wild that he's running so far away from everything that he campaigned on right now? I mean, that, that's the thing. Like, You can't make ending oil and gas such a symbolic centerpiece of your campaign. Do it and then pretend that you don't have to own the consequences, right? Oh, and I right, think that's right. why his poll numbers are plummeting and nobody believes that you know inflation isn't his fault. Yeah, like, I mean, I, I could find a million uh, clips like this on the campaign trail of him talking about trying play to get one, fossil Bonnie, fuel. Play Number one, one, no more subsidies for fossil fuel industry. No more drilling on federal lands. No more drilling, including offshore. No ability for the oil industry to continue to drill, period. Ends. Number one. No more substitutes. So that, that's that's one. There's another one with uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, of him talking about how we have to we have to work it out. We have to work it out. We get rid of all of the the fossil fuels. This is probably the most clear cut one that you can possibly find. Um, I want you to just take a look. Okay, you don't have to agree, but I want you to look in my eyes. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. What's with the creepy touching? Why does he got to touch everybody when he talks to him? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's, but uh, what, that's what, the way it always goes. Yeah. We're oh, Uncle Joe. Until we're not. When prices yeah. go up, 
then it's your patriotic duty to come and and protect me. So because we got it's November your coming fault. <laughs> Did right. you real quick something that Jason said uh, before I played those clips? Did you refer to the press secretary as cringe Jean Pierre? No, because that's a I'll great win. nickname. Okay, oh, right. that would be a good that. nickname. Yeah. <laughs> cringe Jean Pierre. Uh, so, so yeah, all right, let, let's take some of these claims one by one. Uh, I know that we already addressed a little bit of it, but I want to take some of these claims that I started off the podcast one by one. Number one, the president doesn't control gas prices. So obviously, I mean, this is a straw man. It's set up to be a straw man argument. He's got no knob uh, next to the red button or the red phone or whatever, uh, where he just <laughs> turns this. it up or down yeah. <laughs> yeah, to, to make uh, gas prices go up and down. However, the president does dictate policy, either through executive action or through signing legislation, that absolutely impacts energy and gas prices. I mean, is this, this is not groundbreaking stuff. This is a very basic level thing. Linnea, you want to comment on that? Uh, <laughs> it's, um, I... Sorry, I was kind of reading a comment while you while you were going on to. <laughs> All right, I can uh, I can hop in here. If <laughs> Isaac, you, want. you get you catch it. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, yeah, obviously the guy has done what he can to limit oil and gas production through like limitations on drilling. But right now, one of the reasons that gas prices continue to go up is because we don't have enough oil refining capacity in order right. to turn this raw right. material of crude oil into refined products such as gasoline, diesel fuel, jet engine fuel, kerosene. Uh, what have you. So like one of the reasons why that's the case is we haven't built a new refinery in the United States since like the 1970s. Like we've obviously increased the capacity of the refineries that we have, but the environmental regulations involved with adding a new refinery are just a disaster. They're a nightmare. So when Joe Biden basically left Afghanistan with a whole bunch just leaving billions of dollars in equipment and showed uh, Putin that like, oh, okay, well, this guy's a pushover. I think I can get away with invading Ukraine. Like that set off just a bunch of dominoes because, you know, everyone talks about the United States no longer importing Russian oil products. But, you know, most of that wasn't crude oil. It was refined gasoline and diesel fuel. And Russia has the refining capacity that the world is trying to avoid right now, right? So we have a bottleneck in the you know gasoline supply chain when it comes to our ability to refine crude oil into these new products. Um, and the fact that uh, um, Jim just keeps texting, like I just keep saying, right on, Isaac, from Jim. Like Jim's not <laughs> he's, he's on the pod, fan. but he's here Jim's in your biggest today. Fan. Yeah, absolutely. So- well, well, uh, uh, but no, that's to, that's causing a huge bottleneck and a huge problem, and like guy doesn't get it. Well, I I, right. I want to specifically get to that that point in a little bit, but like you know, just to kind of build off of what you were saying before, I, I posed this question, which is like this guy ran on this stuff. Yes, he ran on doing these policies that were going to uh, limit the amount of fossil fuels and to and to work it out to work it out right so it's like uh, is his fans just saying that like oh no those policies were just completely ineffective right like is that their defense i well, don't know it's, it. it's no he's no. treating fossil fuels like metamucil like we're gonna work it out <laughs> where it's it's i'm gonna put my gym hat on for this uh oh oh boy here we these, go these these price spikes the supply chain issues the global instability for uh, nation states that we are not friendly with, such as the Middle East and Russia, um, these these issues were all known. 
we have been saying at Heartland and everyone on the conservative side and even admitted by the left and even Obama during his administration, he said energy prices will necessarily rise. Right. This Sky is rock. a policy yeah. impact that everyone knew was coming. Everyone. And now that it's here, they're scrambling to cover it up, but they don't intend to actually reverse course. This is something that they are perfectly happy with the average American suffering under, and they have absolutely no intention of alleviating it. Can, can we just like right. throw out some of the actual Under policies? my plan uh, of a cap and trade system, oh, electricity rates would necessarily skyrocket. Oh, that was Isaac right. just doing an impression. That was great, Isaac. Good job, man. You know, I do a good He's Obama practicing. and a good Klobuchar. <laughs> oh yeah we need to play that klobuchar clip i mean you have to do the impression of it yeah yeah um so can we just like list off some of the actual policies that he's enacted i mean i know that like some of the stuff that he's pushed for the build back better was kind of uh, stopped from from happening but like he has done a bunch of stuff through executive order uh, I know that he's uh, shut down the the Keystone XL pipeline. What what other things has he actually like materially done that uh, you know would have would have a negative impact when it comes to you know gas prices, energy stuff? Throw yeah, them out I've, there, anyone. So the Institute for Energy Research has a really good article on this on their website yep. called "The Chronology of Biden's Gas Price Hike," where they basically go through since January twentieth through the present day. It was written on May second, so it's kind of fallen off. I wish they were just making this a running tab. Yeah, but right. basically everything that the guy could possibly do, he's done. He's you know withheld. Uh, drilling leases. He's basically tried to cancel them or put off issuing new leases for as long as possible. And even when he does approve leases, he's slow playing the permit, right? So the lease is the right, right to access right. this, but the permit is the ability to actually start producing oil or natural gas on this leased land, right? So, you know, when they're talking about, well, 9,000 leases, it's like, okay, well, what about the permits, buddy? And they're just like, well, you're not supposed to know that you need a permit. We just want you to. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, you've outfoxed to me again. Um, oh, yeah. But like, that's how this administration plays everything. Like this administration just thinks that messaging is their problem. They think that they just need to bamboozle people with their bologna sandwiches and that the American people are too stupid to realize that nothing is getting better. Right. Right. Uh, Andy was uh, scrolling through some of those that timeline that uh, Isaac was talking about. I saw the the pause on land leases thing. I saw the re rejoining the the Paris Climate Accord. I already mentioned the Keystone XL thing. Uh, so, yeah, it's just a, a whole list. So, again, it's like, what's their explanation? No, no, no. He's doing these things, but they're completely ineffective. All of the energy <laughs> crisis that are happening are unrelated. Like, how, what, what is the cognitive dissonance that's going on in these people's heads when they yeah. buy this stuff? I don't get it. Well, they're even it. enlisting the Securities and Exchange Commission to basically make mm -hmm. companies, it's a proposed rule right now, but quantify their greenhouse gas emissions. And it's all for the purpose of getting like big investment firms like BlackRock, Larry Fink, uh, to basically try to shame companies that emit greenhouse gases in the course of doing their business. So it's like basically trying to use the government to force ESG disclosure so that way they can like get their their powerful friends together in order to punish companies that, you know, actually produce stuff for a living, right? Like, because, mm -hmm. you know, that's 
emitting something, uh, CO2, is a necessary byproduct of doing productive things. Sure. Down and another thing, people seem to get confused about the fact that CO2 is plant food. Like that, a lot of my background is is plant physiology and forestry, and that people will only look at the the negatives. They refuse mm. to talk about the positives that might be associated with mild warming, less than one point five to to pull their number out of the the air, one point five degrees Celsius. They ignore the fact that CO two has even NASA has this on their website that it has radically increased green leafy biomass across the planet co2 has a lot of positive effects and nobody wants to talk about that so we're we're worried about you know calculating the impacts of our co2 emissions okay well are we calculating the positives as well the like should we be then like in terms of externalities and that we're worried about the negatives so we've got to tax that okay then let's also consider the positive externalities and what subsidize those? Is that the plan? Yeah. I, I just like, okay. So the, the first thing that I wanted to, the first uh, narrative talking point, the president doesn't control the gas prices. Uh, it turns out that some of the things that the president does have consequences. <laughs> so it's like, it doesn't have to be a much more complicated answer than that. And then I see in the chat here, Jason, you shared an article from the American Energy Alliance titled 100 yeah. Ways Biden and the Democrats Have Made It Harder to Produce Oil and Gas. So I'm willing to, to, to guess that a, at least a handful of these 100 examples have some sort of concrete impact on the uh, on the price of oil and gas. Like it's it's that's that's just such an absurd one. So let's let's move past that. I got like three others here. Uh, Linnea, I'll give you first swing at this one. All right. This is uh, this is the idea that gas prices are a global issue, and this is obviously suggesting that uh, gas prices are high everywhere, which means that doing something here won't have any results. It's a global thing. How do you respond to that? You know where gas prices are not very high right now? Russia. <laughs> They're still paying like a buck a gallon or something really? like that. Yeah, it's, oh man, that hurts. Uh, so yeah, uh, oil prices, because we are on a standardized um, spot trade system, mm -hmm. it's, so it is, Global impacts obviously have an effect on the price of oil. If there is a predicted shortage due to something like an embargo, uh, the war in Ukraine, um, major you know terrorism activities going on in the Middle East or something, all of this can have an impact. But the United States is one of the largest producers in the world. We have an, a, an inordinate uh, impact mm. on gas prices and on the kind of um, supply that you can put out. Right. Um, America leads the pack in this kind of policy, especially. We can influence, just like what you've seen with Biden, He, the first thing he does in the last couple of weeks when the oil prices and the gas prices issue has really started to come to the fore um, in a bigger way as we reach summertime, um, he goes to OPEC, he goes to yeah. the Middle East and begs them to increase production. Right, right. Instead of, you know, instead of lifting some of the regulations or maybe making some promises to the financial sector, um, because it's not just what Isaac is talking about with the um, refinery bottleneck, but there's also a funding bottleneck. 
that the Biden administration has incentivized and creative created with their um, ESG policies and also what they're calling stakeholder investment strategies. Um, so there's there's an inconsistent regulatory overburden that investors see. On the other side, the investors are being encouraged to divest from fossil fuels by the government and by other companies. So what you get is companies that would normally put a ton of money into oil and gas projects are hesitant to do so because they think, well, in the next couple of years, the Obama or the Biden administration is just going to try. I keep saying the Obama administration. I know. I keep mixing really, it up today, too. Biden, yeah, you should so just weird. say the O'Biden administration. <laughs> the O'Biden administration. Well, the Brandon administration is probably better. But um, All right. it's, it's funny because Biden actually so far has been a lot more radical than Obama on a lot of these policies, right. even though we were promised this was old blue dog Uncle Joe, you know, moderate <laughs> Democrat. Uh, no, that, that, that might be the case if Uncle Joe was actually the one calling the shots. But yeah, uh, Isaac, Isaac, I want you to kind of uh, jump in with uh, anything you want to add to this. But uh, the Saudi Arabia thing, I think it was like a perfect a perfect uh, rebuttal to this where it's like, there's nothing that we can do in the United States to alleviate this problem. It's like, okay, but Saudi Arabia can, it's like, well, if it's such a global thing they can have an impact, but we can't, that just seems again, like the cognitive <laughs> dissonance thing going on. Isaac, is there anything you would want to add to this, uh, this, this concept? Well, I mean like, yeah, he's going to Saudi Arabia instead of South Texas. Like no wonder right. the American people right. think that, yes, you are the problem. You're restricting oil and gas production here. Like go to the Permian, go to North Dakota, say, Hey, oil and gas producers, you guys are great. Please help us out. Instead of like, shame on you. This is your patriotic duty and you're abdicating that responsibility. And it's like, okay, buddy, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, single finger salutes all around. Like, <laughs> Oh, how dare you? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> he's he's playing Greta Thunberg to the American oil and gas industry. And then he's going around asking the pariah of Saudi Arabia to pump more. It's yeah, his, his words. Not this seems to be a common theme, though, in every sense of his energy policy, not just the oil and gas, because we do the same thing here. We aren't allowed to mine for all of the so-called critical minerals, transition minerals that we need to produce solar panels. So what do we do? We buy them all from China. That is making them, like China subsidizes the production of their solar panels. They steal intellectual property. They uh, enslave the Uyghurs to build these um, solar panels. They radically pollute their own backyard with, I mean, you can see, look, Google, pictures of Batao, China, and you'll see just massive toxic waste lake that they've produced by just pumping the the leftovers from refining uh, rare earth and other critical minerals just mm. onto the ground. So, I mean, there's so many examples of it. The, the oil that he's begging to get produced in other areas around the world, the CO2 production associated with the oil that's uh, drilled and produced in Russia, in the Middle East, in other countries, way higher because they have a problems not as efficient. They have way more methane leaks. They have all of these issues associated with their production. North American oil and gas production is extremely clean. It's extremely efficient. And we're, we're actually harming 
the environment by going and getting oil from Saudi Arabia, from right. Russia, from other places. So, and and getting our solar panels from China. There's so many examples that that you could point to where you say, look, if we were doing this in the U.S., it'd be produced under strict environmental regulations, strict labor regulations. So yeah, we're not no sending eight-year-old kids, yeah, eight-year-old kids into the ground in the Congo to get cobalt. You know, I mean, we're not enslaving Uyghurs to produce the the components for solar panels. There's so many examples of why it's just a bad idea to do what the Biden administration is doing, which is, I mean, I saw a comment here. He's he's screaming at American oil producers and going on bended knee to the Saudis. Right. It's it's so backward. It makes no sense at all. Yeah, uh, the number three here. I do want to get to him. Him, uh, you know, shaking his fist uh, at, at clouds. I mean, no, shaking his fist at the oil companies. I do want to. I wanted to get to that in a little bit. But number three. This is the kind of the narrative spinning number three that I want to address here. Oil companies are just raking in record profits. Clearly, they are just price gouging customers, and that is the reason for for high gas prices. Um, Isaac, Linnea, who, who wants to take on this one first? Well, um, one, I would say that they really don't know what they're talking about at all. Just because margins are better because the price of oil is higher doesn't mean that oil companies are making all that much money um, in profits. Remember, they also have to pay to keep the lights on. And if you've ever seen how much money it takes to run one of these um, deep water drill ships, and I, for, um, for context, I used to work on deep water drill ships. Uh, it's... It would be an understatement to say that it's like a million dollars a day to run one of these things. Hmm. So that's and it's going to be more expensive because the cost of the kind of fuel that you need to keep those ships in place. It's literally a huge ship that uses um, marine diesel and it uses GPS thrusters to keep it in place over hmm. the drilling location. So those engines are always running. Um, it is insanely expensive. And sure. so with the price of oil going up, that stuff goes up for them too. With the supply chain crisis, they're having difficulties getting materials in all of the uh, supply boats. And I, I'm speaking mostly on offshore because that's kind of my area of expertise and uh, experience. But it is insane how much that the supply chain issues and the oil and gas prices are actually going to impact that industry as well. Uh, forget the fact that the administration is doing everything they can to prevent them from um, doing more exploration, <laughs> drilling new wells, unless they're in a um, very pre-established field where they're mostly just doing um, what are called water injection wells to increase the pressure uh, in that field. Anyway, I'm getting a little off in the weeds on this, but uh <laughs> <laughs> I, I get excited. Um, so, so that's, it's insane for them to act like there's not increased costs on their side as well. Um, and I am seeing from a statement from ExxonMobil actually regarding this issue that ExxonMobil says that they have invested double of what they've earned in the last couple of years. Hmm. So everything that every cent that they get, they reinvest into new drilling operations or probably in Exxon's case, uh, some offshore wind as well. Yeah. Um, 
the 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 quickest response to this one that I think is like the most effective. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I mentioned it like a week or two ago when we were talking about this. Is like oil companies get what like five cents on the gallon in profit, right? Whereas like the government taxes each gallon of gas yeah. like forty to sixty cents, depending on what state you're in. Yeah. So it's like who's really price gouging you? At yeah, the but pump? don't forget that's for the greater good. Oh, okay. So that that makes it completely okay. The five cents—that's price gouging. The forty right, cents. Bad. Okay, good. Got it. Let me let me mark that right. down. Got it. Well, that is... What the heck? Go ahead, Isaac. Just wow. ignore it. Just ignore wow. it. Wow. Uh, well, I think it is important to talk about like oil refinery margins are up a lot right now because there's a global shortage, right? So. When you take out those Russian refineries and you basically don't have that capacity, the price goes up because the demand stayed the same. Uh, We're sending a lot of our finished products to Europe right now because they're trying to avoid buying Russian. So uh, that's happening with uh, natural gas prices, too. Right. So the Biden administration has made it a policy to restrict the amount of natural gas pipelines that we have, which affects our ability to produce more natural gas. At the same time, we're sending a bunch of natural gas that we're producing in the U.S. over to Europe in the form of liquefied natural gas. The amount of gas that we're using for electricity generation has increased because of regulations on coal, right? So right. Um, the, the supply of gas has been stagnant because of the Biden administration's policies. Um, and it's the same thing with liquid fuels, right? So um, like, what's happening is there are these refineries in the Middle East and India that have a very high cost of doing business, right? And the price is getting so high that those have become the marginal refineries on the global stage. So you need these prices to be high enough in order to incent those refineries to, mm. you know, basically ramp up and produce produce like diesel fuel and yeah. gasoline. So really what's happening is like those those refineries probably aren't making much money right now the the marginal ones right but the efficient ones who have been you know producing the gasoline when uh oil was negative like 37 dollars a barrel (laughs) are now able to reap the rewards of being efficient operators right? right so that's that's also a big part of what's going on here so like yes the Biden administration is doing what they can to you know affect crude oil prices but like the refinery stuff is is just huge and they're never going to say, nope, we need to reform our environmental regs in order to build more refineries here, which is what I think we should do, right? So the United right. States should just kind of run the table when it comes to this kind of stuff. We should be building refineries for you know oil and gas, but also for mineral products like copper, nickel, cobalt, uh, and just like kind of using this geopolitical influence in order to keep bad actors at bay. Like if we yeah. increase our oil production, we could undermine the price of oil and therefore take money out of Putin's pocket. But that's something that Biden refuses to do. Hmm. Yeah, there was there was one more that I wanted to talk about, which was like there was record land leases. But uh, in Hmm. the sake of time and the fact that Isaac, you already kind of addressed this towards the top of the podcast, I'm going to skip over that one um, and move on to a story that I only saw last night because I follow Isaac and Jason on Twitter. So emboldened by this fake narrative uh, that we just kind of ripped apart. Biden is now taking it to those evil oil companies. I'm reading from an AP News article. President Joe Biden on Wednesday called on U.S. oil refineries to produce more gasoline and diesel, saying their profits have tripled during a time of war during uh, between Russia and Ukraine as Americans struggle with high 
prices at the pump. Quote, the crunch that families are facing deserves immediate action, Biden wrote in a letter to seven oil refineries. Your companies need to work with my administration to bring forward concrete near-term solutions that address this crisis. The the hypocrisy of just like that statement and the idea that we're all going to die because of climate change because of the burning of these fossil fuels, like that just doesn't compute, but that's a topic of another story. And uh, the thing that I had saw, again, thanks to um, Isaac and Jace, uh, Jason on, on Twitter, was the response from ExxonMobil, uh, who released a four-paragraph response that started off saying, we have been in regular contact with the administration to update the president and his staff on how ExxonMobil is investing more than any other company in the U.S., oil, blah, 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 blah. Talking about all the stuff that they did, Lene already mentioned the idea of them investing twice as much as the income that they have gotten in the last couple of years. And then it ends with this. We kept investing even during the pandemic when we lost more than $20 billion and had to borrow more than $30 billion to maintain uh, investment to increase capacity to be ready for post-pandemic demand. In the short term, the U.S. government could enact measures often used in emergencies following hurricanes and other supply disruption, such as waivers of the Jones Act provisions and some fuel specifications to increase supplies. Longer term, government can promote investment through clear and consistent policy that supports U.S. resource development, such as regular and predictable lease sales, as well as streamlined regulatory approval and support for infrastructure, such as pipelines. It's just like, oh, man, they're getting very specific in this response. Uh, Jason, I think the tweet that you uh, retweeted was like, oh, they're coming out swinging. What what was your reaction? That was, yes. I forget who said it, but yeah, Exxon comes out swinging. So, I mean, figure that one out, the the Jones Act. Who's ever heard of that before? How could that impact on anything like oil prices? Why should we still keep that old thing playing around? I mean... Only American ships can ship into America. The Jones Act is such a bad idea. We need to get rid of that. So don't just do a waiver. Get rid of it. But yeah, all of these other things, regular and predictable lease sales. Like <laughs> what What business doesn't love operating in uh, like, oh, surprise, we're going to hold a, a lease sale tomorrow. Uh, I hope you're ready kind of thing instead of, Oh, we're going to have regular lease sales. We know they happen at this period of time every day or every month or some where people can actually plan for this sort of thing. And then this letter from Exxon. Yeah, we actually borrowed $30 billion to be able to continue investing in infrastructure. So that was when times were, were bad and we were still spending so right. yeah, Exxon really kind of put the lie to this whole, oh, they're just price gouging and they're not, they're holding on, they're refusing to build new refinery capacity. Okay, well, yeah, Exxon is expanding an existing refinery to do another 250,000 barrels uh, per day. That, yeah, those kind of things are normal for the industry, but that's one company. And then at another end, we've got stories from IER about refineries slated to close that are 400,000 plus barrels per day, uh, supposed to close at the end of 2023. And, you know, you read stories like that and you think, this is to sound familiar. We, we're living on the past 
investments that came from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and hoping that that will be good enough. And then we're just closing down things as they get older and refusing to build anything new. So right. yeah, like Isaac said, we need to build new refinery capacity because guess what? We're still using internal combustion engine cars. We're still using oil and grease and I mean, even their beloved wind turbines are <laughs> lubricated by gear oil. Guess where we get that from? So Magic. all of these sorts of things are perfect examples of where we're living on previous investments and hoping that they will yeah. do. It's, it's, it's poor policy. Yeah, a, a couple of things. Uh, one, the, them having to borrow $30 billion to keep uh, more investing going. And it's just like now with all the ESG stuff and these banks talking about how they're not going to do any financing work, any lending work with uh, fossil fuel industries, like just that idea of them borrowing money to, to build more refineries is going to get tougher and tougher. Uh, two, they're like, in that in that response, they were addressing so many of the things that we had just talked about, like, you know, uh, almost almost all of them like they address in kind of tangentially in that response. But then like the third thing, you have a president that's coming in, uh, taking control that has campaigned on putting you out of business. I think you would be a little reluctant to invest billions of dollars in new refineries and infrastructure and all of that when the dude is running on promising to put you out of business. I mean, this is not rocket science, people. It's not rocket science. Yeah. I don't understand why we have to dedicate an entire episode to explaining why the president's actions have consequences. I'm going insane here, Isaac. Yeah, I, was, I know you are because you sounded a lot like Jim Lakely. <laughs> like that was a gym rant right there, Donald. You might want to check into some sort of facility. Yeah, that's where t Jim is right now. <laughs> here actually. he is. They oh, man. <laughs> Uh, all right. So, so we got about 10 minutes left, but I want to get to one other topic and that's the idea of energy shortages. So, okay. I mean, gas prices are one thing, yeah. uh, an important thing, obviously don't get me wrong, but I can't help but think that the potential of energy shortages resulting in blackouts is a little bit even scarier. So Jason, you wrote an article for the wall street journal titled why electricity blackouts are coming to Michigan. And in preparation for the show, I found a few other articles, one suggesting that power shortages are going to be affecting the U.S. Midwest come this summer. Another one uh, saying that this is going to be the case in Texas. And I'm pretty sure that California blackouts are just routine by now. So I want to tackle this topic at like a, like a macro level, but we can start off a little bit smaller. Tell us why are electricity blackouts coming to Michigan? Uh, the, that article looks specifically at the closure of one nuclear plant, uh, Palisades plant, which is in West Michigan, and 811 megawatts CO2-free, emissions-free electricity that had been producing for over 50 years, and they closed the plant down 10 years ahead of its scheduled uh, closure plant. So the the license is still there, and... Yeah, they just decided, well, it's not competing well against wind and solar when wind and solar have most of their costs subsidized by the, the taxpayer. So they, they shut it down. So we lose that reliable energy. At the same time, the, the big utility consumers energy that's operating in the same area is planning in 2025 to shut down one of their major coal plants of 1,560 megawatts 
and that's uh, so 2.3 gigawatts of of uh, closures just in Michigan in one utilities operating area within a two to three year period. So all of these sorts of things are, you know, they're they're kind of a, an ongoing issue, and we're seeing groups like the MISO, the Midcontinent Independent System Operator. NERC, the North American Electric Reliability Council, all coming in and saying, uh, guys, the, the this plan to close down what MISO calls uh, non-accredited, which is unreliable, weather-dependent energy sources like solar and wind, we're, we're building those and closing on accredited or reliable sources like coal, uh, nuclear, and even some gas. We, we can't tell minute by minute, I mean, I'm sure all your listeners know, is the wind blowing in five minutes? Is the wind going to be blowing in an hour? Well, we don't know. We can't be sure. So you you hope it's blowing and you hope that you'll have enough electricity to be able to power the grid and keep people's lights and air conditioning running. But I mean, right now, across the Midwest, we're looking at 90, 95 degrees and sunny and all of these uh, regulatory agencies are sending out max gen warnings. They're telling all the utilities, you need all your stuff ready to go because demand is going to be high. But yet they're closing down all of the reliable stuff that we know works when it's hot and sunny or very cold and there's not much wind and there's not much uh, sun shining in the winter. We're, we're building an extremely fragile and unreliable weather dependent electric grid. And so that's what we were trying to write about in that Wall Street Journal article. And interestingly, the Wall Street Journal editorial staff wrote another one that was pretty much right beside it that said almost the same thing, but did it on a national level. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I kind of, I, I want to, you know, bring that one up too. It's um quote, that could never happen in America, I once thought was the response one that you're just uh, referring to. And, you know, and I, I don't like saying this, but like it's 2022. Uh, and and here, here's a, 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 the last Seinfeld reference of the episode. We can put a man on the moon. We could put a man on the moon, but we can't have a warm cup of coffee at the convenience store or something like that. <laughs> but it's 2022 and we're sitting here worried about whether or not we're going to have electricity in the middle of the summer. Right. What is like, are we seriously... Isaac, I'll let you tackle this. Are we turning into like a third world country when it comes to our energy grid? Like this is insanity. Yeah, we're turning into California. So uh, <laughs> we have potato, to have a bet. potato, potato, <laughs> potato, right? Uh, yeah, we are. So like Jason's absolutely right. We've got reliable coal and nuclear power plants that we are senselessly shutting down. Uh, and we are, you know, quote unquote, replacing them with wind and solar. But you know, the wind doesn't always blow. The sun doesn't always shine. And the grid operator, MISO, knows this. They say, okay, we think a uh, coal plant can operate at 90% of its potential output. Same with nuclear plants. Same with uh, natural gas plants. But the wind and solar plants, they say, oh, okay, we only think wind will be there about 15% of the time when we need the electricity most and solar 50%, which is also probably a gross overestimation. So way too high. They're giving credit for reliability to wind and solar, even though that's no guarantee. So uh, I call this phantom firm capacity. So basically what happens is MISO tries to make sure that they have enough power plants in a bar graph. So like, let's say here's your electricity demand way up here. 
And for the people who are listening audio only, we warned you that this was happening. Uh, <laughs> and then you try to stack up enough power plants that are reliable in order to hit that demand line, right? So uh, you'll have your coal, your natural gas, your nuclear, but they're giving wind and solar some credit in that demand line. And that means that the amount of shortfall that we have or the the you know the lack of capacity that we have to meet that demand could be worse than what they're telling us right now at any given moment because last summer when we had a bunch of like kind of shaky um periods where we might have had blackouts at one point last june the wind was producing at less than one percent of its potential output right so 15 times less wind was on the system at that hour than they were anticipating so the prospect of rolling blackouts this summer in the midwest is very real in fact NERC says that we have the highest risk of blackouts of anywhere in the country, more than Texas, more than California. So uh, it's going to be a wild ride. Yeah, you know, you know what's going to happen. You know what's what's going to happen. This is so predictable. Um, we're going to have these rolling blackouts through different parts of the country here and there when heat waves and stuff happen. And then you're going to see the same response uh, in the intermittent times where you can get on social media when the power is working, where people are like. Biden doesn't control the electricity. <laughs> you know, it's just it's like, climate it's, change. Is what yeah, they're gonna worse. Say, they're going right? to say it's caused by climate change. That's exactly it. Even but though it's caused by the policies that they're using to fight supposed climate it's change. Literally a freshman accounting problem. We've been Do yep. warning this. assets equal your liabilities. We've been warning this for how long? We've been predicting this for how long? And then when it actually happens, do we get vindicated? No, 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 no. Biden doesn't control the weather. He doesn't control electricity prices. Like that's the response. They don't learn anything from this. We just saw this in Texas last year. Ugh, right. I, I can't, I can't, I can't stand it. Everyone. We refuse to learn. There's like a, a utility dive article that looked at this situation. And I've, I've been saying this to people, honest to goodness, this is a real quote. They said the need for controlled power shutoffs, which is blackouts in, in English, will depend on the availability of non-firm resources like capacity imports. Can we get someone else to ship extra electricity in? And even yep. more importantly, wind generation. So we have reduced ourselves to the point where we're like our great-grandparents sitting in a dark house praying to whatever God we worship, please let the weather work right. so that we can actually you know, produce enough electricity to, to keep our freezers from defrosting from, you know, from grandma passing out because it's 95 degrees and 80% humidity. We've literally built our, our system to, to at this point now, and we're somehow supposed to be proud of this. Like I'll reiterate, this is America. We sent the man to the moon. Like, I mean, come on. They want us I, to I, live like wilder. <laughs> you know, live like who? Laura Ingalls Wilder. It's like a real yes. life little house on the prairie right now. Yeah, I I would take that over what a uh, future looks like when we don't have reliable energy and power going out all the time. Uh, but cue Isaac's favorite Trump quote uh, after what Jason had to say there. Do you know what I'm talking about, Isaac? Your, your deer in the headlight eyes suggest that you don't. Beautiful, clean coal. No, honey, honey. I was thinking <laughs> of watching TV tonight. Coal. 
is the power is is the sun shining is the wind darling <laughs> i'd like to watch television is the wind blowing <laughs> uh yeah i mean that's that's pretty much gonna wrap up the show here i see jim in the comments saying one more hour one more hour we could probably do a whole nother hour just talking about the inefficiency of wind and solar alone but we're gonna have to save that for a future episode the hour did go by fast i want to thank all of you for joining me for that uh but i will say for all those people that are tuning into this show please subscribe write a review for us on itunes it'd be greatly appreciated it's the easiest thing that you can do to support this show is to share this content and get it past those big tech algorithms that provide prevent people from seeing content like this if you'd like you can follow us on twitter at in the tank pod um you can also send your comments and suggestions to the show by emailing us at in the tank podcast at gmail.com isaac or where can the fine people find your work uh on truth social at the fracking guy just kidding i don't ever post on that i just <laughs> i just go for the trump tweets this is nice. fun uh, i'm on socialist twitter at the fracking guy and at americanexperiment.org fantastic jason hayes where can the fine people find you on twitter uh i'm probably on truth social too i forget but uh twitter is jason t hayes and then as we already said mackinac center is m-a-c-k-i-n-a-c dot o-r-g so mackinac.org is the other place fantastic and Linnea lucan where can people go to see your work all right, so you can, uh, I usually try to post every once in a while on Gap, but I also, climaterealism.com, and then every Friday at the same time that Into Tank goes on on Thursday, we have a climate-centered show on the Heartland um, YouTube. Yeah, yeah, it's a fine show, not as good as yeah, a it's host, okay. but, uh, you know, whatever, they can't all be Donald's. But anyways, uh, thank you all for tuning in, and we will talk to you next week. Ha <laughs> ha